Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Boom Biology Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about food, aka best thing on the planet. Food is literally life. I love talking about food. I literally run my own food blog. Follow me at Benin Sweet Teeth. In biology though, the way we talk about food is all the different food groups what each food group does, how does it benefit us, and the importance of water. And as always, we're going to be starting off with the definitions, and then we're going to just head right into it. Today's goals are to understand why we need food in the first place, other than the fact that it tastes amazing and there's so much out there to try. To know what elements food has in it, To describe and understand what things like carbohydrates, proteins, vitamins and minerals do, how they work and what's their structure like. Then we're going to understand how important water is for literally any organism. All of our reactions happen because water is present. Water is a solvent. It literally just dissolves all the nutrients and stuff that we just talked about. So water we're going to talk about the importance of water and finally we're going to be talking about the experiments that are in this chapter that are basically you're conducting your food tests and you're going to be testing for starch fat a reducing sugar and protein now i don't have any since this is a podcast i'm just going to be explaining how you do the experiment and the result quite quickly i wouldn't be really going through the experiment full-on because you've probably done the experiments in school or you have your diagrams and stuff. Biomolecules are chemicals that are made inside a living thing. Most biomolecules have carbon in them, and another word for this is also biochemical. So the main biomolecules now that we have in food are carbohydrates, lipids, and there's two types of lipids now. There's fats and there's oils, there's proteins, and then there's vitamins. Biomolecules are chemicals that are made inside a living thing. Phospholipids are fat-like substances in which one of the fatty acids is replaced by a phosphate group or has a phosphate group attached to it. Anabolic reactions use energy to convert smaller molecules into larger molecules. And then catabolic reactions release energy when a complex molecule is broken down to a simpler form. So today we are talking about food and we're going to start off with why do we need food? Well first of all food is a source of energy. You need food because food has the chemicals that are needed for metabolic reactions. Now we've explained what metabolic reactions are in the previous chapters so your metabolism is basically the system that that uses the chemicals that you get from food or whatever to make some sort of reaction happen in your body. And metabolism then, the products of it, there's waste products, which you excrete, you get rid of the toxic, which you don't need. And then there's stuff that you will need. And you need things to grow. You need things to repair yourselves. And that process going from chemicals to a reaction to create your product in which makes you the beautiful human that you are that is what a metabolic reaction does 
and you need food in order for those reactions to occur. Think of metabolism and the whole system now as like a baking reaction. In order to bake, you need ingredients. Those ingredients are the food and the processes that occur when you add the chemicals, like when you mix all the products together and you know, then you add heat, you bake them in the oven and then the products that come out of it. So for example, if you're baking cupcakes, when you eat them, you're not going to use the cupcake cases. Think of, you get rid of that, right? So think of that as the waste, what you excrete. The metabolism was the whole system, all the instructions you followed, those instructions, whatever you did, that doing in your body is basically what the metabolic reactions are. And that is why we need food. Because of the food, the reactions happen. And because of the reactions, you get a product, you get your cake. Other than that, you need food as the raw materials for growth and repair in the structure of organisms. So basically what I've been saying before. In food, there are a bunch of elements, but the main ones are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And in food, there's mainly 14 elements that are used. Carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, as I mentioned before, they are the most common. And with reactions that come from carbon, if it has carbon in it, it's what's known as an organic compound. Carbon means biomolecules are chemicals that are made inside a living thing. Most biomolecules have carbon in them. And another word for this is also biochemical. So the main biomolecules now that we have in food are carbohydrates, lipids, and there's two types of lipids now. There's fats and there's oils. There's protein and then there's vitamins. Carbohydrates. The elements that are present in carbohydrates are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And they have a ratio in them. So the formula for most carbohydrates would be CXH2O, which is water, and then Y. And X and Y are the same. So for example, if you've got glucose, glucose would be C6, 6 for the X, H12, O6. The X and the Y are the same. And there's different types of carbohydrates. So depending on how many sugar units there are, that is what type of carbohydrate the food will be. So there's monosaccharides, which, for example, you've got glucose. And it's only one sugar unit. All of the granules or whatever, they're separate. There's, they're not bonded together, really. And glucose and fructose are examples of monosaccharide that we see. Glucose is also made by plants in photosynthesis. And you need glucose to make energy. And glucose is found in all the best things in life. Sweets chocolate, fruit, and soft drinks. Fructose has the same formula, but the atoms in it are put in a different way. They're arranged differently and they would be slow releasing because of the way that they're different. So it's in fruits and then fruits are much sweeter than glucose would be overall. 
disaccharides are carbohydrates that have two sugar units and it's not just two of them floating about the place the two of them are joined together an example of this would be maltose and maltose is it's found in plants so it's found in germinating seeds and that's when the two glucose molecules are together and when they're together they form maltose for example, a disaccharide, so sucrose, which would be the white sugar or the table sugar that you have at home, that is glucose joined to fructose. Both of them are together. So your table sugar is a disaccharide. And then finally, we have polysaccharides, and that is a carbohydrate that has loads of sugar units together. And polysaccharides, they don't really dissolve in water and they don't taste sweet. They are bigger molecules. And why are they bigger? Ask yourself that. They're bigger because there's a bunch of glucose molecules all joined together. They make one big unit because they're all joined together. Whereas monosaccharides are loners. There's only one of them. Disaccharides, they got a boo, so there's two of them. But polysaccharides, that's a whole lot together. Therefore, they're going to be bigger and they're going to have more of an effect. Examples of polysaccharides would be starch, cellulose, and glycogen. Starch is stored in plants and where do you find starch? Starch is in bread, starch is in potatoes, rice, pasta and starch is easily digestible. Cellulose on the other hand is also a bunch of glucose molecules joined together. It's a polysaccharide and it's very strong and there's much more cross bonding in it. So it's harder to digest and you'd find cellulose in plant cell walls. It's so strong that it keeps the structure of the plant cell in the same spot, do you know? Plant cells, the whole point of a cell wall is to keep the structure in place. And cellulose is so strong, so hard to break, that it keeps the cell wall structure the way it is. And it's really difficult to digest, as I said earlier. Glycogen then, it's an even more complex polysaccharide. It's also, again, a bunch of glucose molecules joined together. But in all of these, they are joined together, but they're joined together in different ways, which would give them their different functions. And glycogen in animals, it's found in, they store them in their liver and their muscles. Overall, you'd find carbohydrate in things like bread, potatoes, rice, and pasta, and then, you know, the sweet stuff, like all our desserts, that's where you'd mainly find sugar. Now, in this chapter, they give you a structural role and a metabolic role. So in the structural role of carbohydrates, like I said before, you'd give the example of cellulose and you'd say that cellulose is used in the structure of plant cell walls. And then metabolic role of carbohydrates, again, glucose is broken down in respiration to release energy and plants also make glucose when they photosynthesize. They make the glucose to respire and to get energy out of it. Next, we are moving on to lipids. Now, the elements that are present in lipids are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Since lipids are more complicated than carbohydrates were, there isn't really a formula for them. Lipids are solid at room temperature and then other fats like oils they are liquid at room temperature the way that lipids look they can be in two different ways in the first way 
there's one big molecule called glycerol and that's present in all fats. So you've got your big glycerol and then you can have either three fatty acids or you have glycerol, one fatty acid, a second fatty acid, and then the third thing, which is known as a phosphate. A phosphate is basically a bit of phosphorus with it and phospholipids then, they're basically fat-like substances in which one of the fatty acids is replaced by a phosphate group or has a phosphate group attached to it. And what phospholipids are used for, they are used in making lipoproteins and they are used in cell membrane structures. So you have your lipid, your phosphorus, your phosphate, and your protein. All of them make what's known as a phospholipid and that is used to make your cell membrane. And when they combine with the protein then, they are known as lipoproteins. And again, like I said before, they are used in the structure of cell membranes. And then that is what you would put down for the structural role of lipids. And then the other structural role that lipids have is mainly they are an energy store in plants and animals. They stay in the same spot. And then when you need it, fat burns, the lipid will burn in order to give you energy. For the metabolic role of lipids, lipids are basically broken down in respiration and they release energy. Next, we are moving on to proteins. And proteins have the normal carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, but proteins also have nitrogen present in them. Sometimes they have smaller amounts of things like sulfur and phosphorus and other elements. Again, proteins, because they come in all different shapes, all different sizes, and because they are used in so many things in the body, there's so many different uses of them, there isn't really a formula like there was in carbohydrates. The way that proteins look, the structure of proteins is that proteins are made up of these things that are known as amino acids. And there are 20 different types of amino acids. When one amino acid joins on to another amino acid, both of them, when they come together, form what is known as a peptide bond. So when you're drawing them, one protein make it a block, the other protein make it one block, draw a line in the middle. When those two join, that is what's known as your peptide bond. And when there's multiples of these bonds, like there's more than one of them and they're all joined together, you know, that then is a polypeptide. A polypeptide would have multiple amino acids in them. A protein then is a long polypeptide chain and proteins have at least 200 of these amino acids in them so one bonded to another bonded to another bonded to another like 200 times is what a protein has to be and protein even in the structure again there's another difference depending on how they're bonded and how they fold all the amino acids there are different types of proteins if the protein is really smooth, there's no folding in it, that is what's known as a fibrous protein. And an example of that would be keratin in your hair. Even if you have curly hair, your hair is generally straight. There's not many folds in your hair. So that would be what is known as a fibrous protein, the keratin present in it. And then you have what's known as a globular protein. And in globular protein, there's a bunch of folding in it. And globular protein would be found in your muscles and it would be found in what's known as albumin in eggs. The main sources of protein would be meat, fish, 
pulse vegetables, beans, peas, all that stuff. The structural role then of proteins, like I said before, the structure of people, your hair, your skin, that would have keratin, which is a fibrous protein. There's no folding in that. And it's present in your skin and your hair, which is obviously the part of the structure of the human being, for example. And another one would be a protein called myosin, which is found then in your muscle. The metabolical role of proteins, enzymes. All enzymes are basically proteins. Enzymes cause reactions in your body. They help a lot with metabolic reactions. Enzymes are basically what is known as a biological catalyst. So all the chemicals are floating around your body. They attach to what is known as your active site in your enzyme. And your enzyme makes the reaction that would happen really slow. It makes it happen really fast, but it doesn't get used up in the reaction itself. And enzymes basically help with all the different reactions in your body. There's many different types of enzymes and they all do different things. So for the metabolism to help out with all those reactions, that is what enzymes do. And enzymes are a form of protein and they don't cause a reaction, but they work with the reaction and they don't get used up in the reaction itself. When there's too much protein in your body, there's too many amino acids, your body doesn't store protein. It just takes what it needs and bins the rest out. And that's the job of your liver. It gets and your kidneys. It gets rid of the toxic waste and you pee it out, you excrete it out. And that process of getting rid of the toxic waste is what's known as deamination. So again, Getting rid of the excess protein that is in the body is what that process of getting rid of it is what deamination is. Minerals then are needed by plants and animals in order to have rigid body structure, to make soft body parts like muscle, to make the salts in your body such as tears, saliva and you know salt in such as sodium that's in your blood and to make biomolecules like hemoglobin, which iron needs to transport, and chlorophyll. Minerals, they're used in very small amounts, but they have key roles, and if you don't have enough of them, it does cause a lot of problems. So they're basically, they're basically like salt in food. You don't use a lot of salt in your food, obviously. There's, you only put in a small amount, but when there is no salt in your food, you feel the lack of it. Think of minerals like that. They are present in small amounts, but when they're not there, you do feel it. So in plants, two minerals would be magnesium and calcium. Magnesium and calcium are both found in salts that are already in the soil. Your plant would use magnesium to make chlorophyll and your plant would use calcium to have the cell walls attach to each other because calcium is really strong it's really rigid so the cell walls the fact that they can stand and that they stand together that uh, calcium would help in that role and then animals use iron and you'd have calcium so iron is mainly found in meat and green vegetables and it helps to form hemoglobin and calcium is found in milk cheese dairy and it helps to form bones and teeth Hemoglobin, right, is basically a chemical, it's a biomolecule that transports oxygen around your blood. 
and it needs iron to be able to carry out its function appropriately. So the fact that I'm mentioning hemoglobin, hemoglobin, what it does is it transports oxygen around the blood and iron is also needed to make sure the hemoglobin is doing its job. Vitamins then are complex carbon-based substances that the body simply can't make itself. It always gets them from somewhere else. So it can be found in your food or for example, you get vitamin D from the sun. Now there's two main types of vitamins, water-soluble vitamins and fat-soluble vitamins. Now something that is soluble means that it will dissolve in something. So the solute here would be the vitamin and then the solvent would be what does it dissolve in. So for a water-soluble vitamin, that means that the, that the solute, the vitamin, will dissolve in water. Whereas in a fat-soluble vitamin, the vitamin will dissolve in fat. So for our water-soluble vitamin, we are going to be talking about vitamin C. And vitamin C is also known as ascorbic acid. Like I said before, it dissolves in water and you can get vitamin C from vegetables and citrus fruits. As we all know, people always say to eat oranges in winter so you don't get sick. So oranges, lemons, all that stuff, vitamin C. Vitamin C has a metabolical role and that would be it forms the connective tissue in your cell. So the body structures, right, that are in your cell, the way it holds together all those structures being held together they're held together that helping to hold it all together is what vitamin c is used for so for example in things like your skin your skin keeps your whole body standing and your guts don't fall out everywhere for example in your gums your teeth aren't falling out because the gums keep the structure in one place and cartilage keeps the nose and the ears for example in the same place so basically think to keep things in the same place is what the metabolical role of vitamin C is. And then it also helps in the growth and the maintenance of bones and teeth. It helps wounds to heal and it helps the immune system to function properly. That's why it's really important to eat vitamin C foods, especially during winter, so you have a good immune system. Now, when you don't get enough vitamin C, what happens to you? Not getting enough of something is what's known as having a deficiency. So if you have a deficiency of vitamin C, that means you're not getting enough vitamin C in the first place. So that can cause problems. Um, the main problem that it causes when you have a severe lack of it now is what's known as scurvy. So what scurvy does, the symptoms of it. So if you have it, what signs will show up? That is what a symptom is. So the symptoms of scurvy would be like your skin won't heal properly. There's bruises, you get bruises and your gums and teeth would be, your teeth would be loose and your gums would bleed a lot. That is what scurvy does. And then you have your fat-soluble vitamin. So a fat-soluble vitamin, like I said before, repeating myself again, so we all know it, is a vitamin that will dissolve in a fat instead of water. So vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. Vitamin D mainly comes from the sun. You can take supplements, I guess, in this climate because not a lot of people get vitamin, enough vitamin D in Ireland anyways. What vitamin D does is... It helps absorb calcium for strong bones and teeth. So the calcium comes from obviously the milk you drink 
and it your intestine will give you know digests it and it takes out all the elements you do need and all the things that you do need so absorbing that calcium from the intestine that goes into your body is the role of what vitamin d does so vitamin d helps you with strong bones and teeth now when you don't get enough vitamin d what happens to you you get what is known in children as rickets and what is known as adults as osteomalacia they're both basically the same thing but one happens in kids the other happens in adults therefore they have different names rickets is basically your bones are deformed and they can break easily deformed means that they won't have the right shape osteomalacia is the same problem except in adults and the symptoms of osteomalacia and rickets is the fact that your bones are deformed and they're weak and they could break really easily they'd be brittle bones so now i want to talk a bit about water water while it doesn't fit into the other categories of food and biomolecules that we've just talked about water is key for most organisms to survive water is a solvent which means that it dissolves things inside it water is used for transport basically in your blood blood has water in it and the chemicals that are made in your blood to go from one place to another they use your blood they use the water that is present to go from one place to another so for that water is used in transporting materials in the organism and also a bunch of living things live literally in water every fish lives in water if they didn't have water they die so water is key for organisms to survive water is there in your cells it's in your cytoplasm and it's in all your body fluids water like i said before is a good solvent so for reactions to occur they need something to dissolve in a lot of the time and more often than not water is what dissolves the solute it participates in most chemical reactions it's used in photosynthesis it's used in respiration it's used in digestion to break down your food it's used in many different ways in the human body a water also allows things like i said before to transport themselves into your blood molecules can go from one place to another purely because water is there water is also a good absorber of heat energy so water it does it has what's known as a high heat capacity so first of all it takes ages to heat up and then it takes ages to cool down as well it keeps that heat inside it and that's really good for a bunch of organisms so for example like fish when they live in water that water will generally have the roughly the same amount of temperature like a constant temperature most of the time so the fish don't burn or get too hot and the fish don't cool and get too cold because the temperature of the water is constant most of the time and in humans it also helps to keep what's known as your body temperature constant humans have their body temperature at 37 degrees celsius and it stays that way most of the time unless you get a fever and that's there purely because what, there's a lot of water in your body and water will not take ages to heat up and water won't take ages to cool down either the fact that it stays constant means that it will help to keep your temperature constant 
Now, when it comes to food and digesting food and processing food, for all those metabolic reactions to occur in your body, there are two main different types of reactions that occur. First of all, you have what is known as an anabolic reaction. And what happens in an anabolic reaction is that there's smaller molecules and they either join together or work together to become something bigger to become a larger molecule. Now, a molecule is a group of atoms bonded together and they are the smallest part of something that can exist independently. So it will be the smallest unit that you can work with is what a molecule is. So in anabolic reactions, small things join together and become big things, bigger molecules. And an example of an anabolic reaction would be how amino acids, like before I said, these small little molecules, join together to form a protein. And an example then of a catabolic reaction is when you have respiration, right? So in respiration, you have one big molecule and then that breaks down into smaller molecules. So in a catabolic reaction, they release energy because big molecules are broken down. And when you break something, energy is released and that breaks it down into a more simpler form. In anabolic reactions, small things come together and become something bigger. In catabolic reactions, something big breaks apart to become smaller stuff. And an example of a catabolic reaction, like I said before, is respiration in which a molecule of food is broken down to release the energy. So now we're going to be moving on to the experiment section of this chapter. And there are four mini experiments in the food section. And what you do is basically each experiment is for testing for each of the biomolecules. The first test we have is to test for what is known as a reducing sugar. And for this section, what I'd highly recommend is since there is controls in all of them. So as you know, so now we're going to be moving on to the experiment section of this chapter. And there are four mini experiments in the food section. And what you do is basically each experiment is for testing for each of the biomolecules. The first test we have is to test for what is known as a reducing sugar. And for this section, what I'd highly recommend is since there is controls in all of them, as you know from previous episodes, a control is a comparison. What is the normal that we are comparing our experiment to? The next test is the test for starch. And for the starch test, what you need is iodine, you need water, and you need starch. So in the control, what you do is there is only iodine and water. There's no starch in that one. And then the experimental you have iodine, water, and starch into a test tube. What you do then is you add iodine on top of the starch in the water, and the one, the experimental, will go from blue to black. But after, uh, when there's iodine in it on its own, however, in the control, it will just stay red yellow. It will not change color. Therefore, you know that the fact that it didn't change color means that the starch didn't do its job. There was no starch there. It's not going to change color. 
Next test. Now we're testing for lipids. And this test is quite different from the others in the sense that you don't need no test tubes. What you do is you get a piece of brown paper and again, control versus experimental. In the control, you put a few drops of water onto your brown paper. And in the experimental, you put butter or any lipid onto some brown paper as well. Then you put them on the radiator for a bit. In the control, the one that we put water in, the stain will dry out. Whereas in the experimental one, the stain stays. It looks like the sun will pass through it. It's what's known as translucent. On the spots that the lipid is present, there a translucent spot forms. The stain stays. It doesn't go away despite you trying to heat it and make it go away. It didn't. And our final test is the test for protein. Again, for this one, you do need test tubes. So what you need for the protein test is you need sodium hydroxide, you need copper sulfate, and you need water, and you need a source of protein. Milk is the easiest one. Some people said egg white, but like separating eggs from their white is so difficult anyways. Just use milk. It's much easier. And what you do is in the control, you have your protein and your sodium hydroxide and your copper sulfate in a test tube and you add your milk. Whereas in the control, you just have your water, your sodium hydroxide and your copper sulfate solution. What happens when you add the milk is that in the milk one, it will go purple or violet. But in the one that there was no milk in, it will not change color. Therefore, it's not present. That is how you test for protein. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you found it useful and I hope it didn't make you too hungry. Don't forget to follow me at Boom Biology Podcast on Instagram. And if you have any questions, to email me at boombiologypodcast at gmail.com. Bye!